Welcome to Haven Community Church. Let's stand and worship the Lord here today.
Lord, we just praise you. We're we're on a week countdown now till we start to celebrate the birth of, of you coming into the world. But Lord, we just pray that once again that you will come back right now. We're ready for you. We hope that you'll come. We want the world to just see that there's a Savior and just to know that. And in the season, Lord, let us just celebrate you and, and everything in your presence here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, everyone, our kids can head to our Haven Kids now. And everyone else, just tell somebody, one week to Christmas. I hope you're ready. Before the beginning got too far down the road, it all fell apart. Paradise lost, humanity ruined. The divine image bearers formed from dust, the ones who held the very breath of God in their lungs, lost their way, forgot their worth, and broke the heart of the Creator who loved them with all his heart. Through the centuries, God beckoned them all to return. But on they wandered into the parched deserts of power and prestige into the bleak winters of self-absorption, casting themselves into waters that could not quench their thirst, forgetting they are loved by love incarnate. Priests and prophets, kings and judges, God sent them all, but none could save his beloved. Humanity had fallen into the depths of sin, into long nights with no hope of morning. But he is the light of the world, and in his perfect way, in the fullness of time, love suddenly gleamed across the night like stardust. Our Savior arrived in a dynasty with no earthly kingdom, a lineage born to suffer, a royal heritage created for death. For God so loved this world, these people, he came down from his throne to ransom them. He purchased humanity from its captive, offering himself as the sacrifice. And suddenly, all the earth, and the souls who looked for him felt their worth. I just have to share something so cute. <laughs> Basket weaving Thursday night. 
this is what some of us got. And because I have terrible hands, mine's a very small basket. The others were very big, and they were beautiful. However, when I got home, my husband said, do we need the helium balloon? Because you've been going three hours. I said, and mine's not done. Miss Jean had to finish it. So thank you, Jean and Allison, for finishing my beautiful basket. And if you're all nice, maybe it'll be a prize next Sunday. Who knows? Anyway, we had a fun time, 21 women trying to make baskets uh, of which 18 of us were clueless. Three of them had made them before, and they're done looking at me going, what is your problem? Well, I have two left hands, and I just can't do basket weaving, so that will be the last I ever basket weave. So don't expect baskets for Christmas. Anyway, we got some praises. Uh, Bobby wanted to share that her grandbaby Marvel got to spend time with dad. And as you know, we've been praying a long time for him to be able to come home, fight a custody battle, and get some time with that baby girl. So we're real excited about that. Um, today, we want to put Paul Alexander on our hearts. June's husband is now on hospice, so we really want to lift that family and keep them strong, especially during this time. Um, and Patty asked us to lift up a prayer for her friend Art, who just found out he has lung cancer. So we want to keep him in our prayers. We want to keep our country and Israel in prayers. Lots going on out there, a lot. Um, and Miss Brenda for healing. She isn't feeling too good today, so Ernie asked me to lift her up. Um, Dot's biopsy was negative in her shoulder, and she is doing good. And we prayed for her a couple weeks ago, so prayers do work. Robin Hildebrandt has asked us to lift Bob Fowl. Did I say it? Fall. Fall. Uh, healing from pneumonia. And Alma fall, healing from neuropathy. And if any of you have neuropathy, you know what it's like. Because the other day they tested me, and I felt everything but one thing, and my husband goes, you know you didn't feel that. Well, I didn't feel it. How would I know I didn't feel it? But anyway, so let's pray for those people, because that's not a fun thing. Also, uh, Rig and Sarah has asked us to lift Kent, Ken Hickman dealing with brain cancer and reactions to the treatments. So we want to lift them in prayer. Um, we also want to lift Sue in prayer. Um, she's uh, putting in for a program that's going to help her, and we just pray that she gets to be one of the, one of the members that gets to go through the program. Um, and all those who are healing from surgeries, and if anybody else had the week I've had, next week's got to be good. I think it was a full moon. Everybody and anybody that could get mean got mean, including me. So y'all never heard me scream, but I did. So I take that all back and be good. But um, during this time, this is the season, and I've said it a hundred times. Please pay it forward. Please be courteous of each other, especially during church when you're whispering. The person in front of you can't hear Jack, and that's really important. He hears Jack. Um, and I do want to shout out that I know you're paying it forward because a lot of it gets back to me. And those of you who are out there online today, hello. I'm glad you're watching. Hope you're doing well. And we're going to drop down and go to prayer. Hands on our knees. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this family. As I look out here and this church is just busting and growing 
Seats are being filled. Families are coming together. It's amazing. We love Jesus, and we love what he did for us because he set us free so that we could be here today and worship, worship with no issues. Other countries are not so lucky, so let's keep them in prayer as they're persecuted while they're in church or trying to pray. Keep your friends and neighbors close to your heart this year. Reach out to them. If they just need a little bag of cookies or a little bag of fudge or just a big hug, sometimes that goes a very, very long way. Be kind to others. And let's remember the reason for the season. Christ our King, and we have salvation. We have his love. We have his kindness. We have his grace. And most of all, we have his mercy. So each of us, let's reach out and touch him and touch somebody. Because we're going to heaven someday, and I want to bring everybody with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And be with Pastor Jack. In the vast tapestry of life, some moments define us. Moments that echo through the corridors of time, yet, many of the things we fill our days with seem to fade away, lost in the sands of forgetfulness. It's a common narrative. The constant pursuit of success, accumulating possessions, and racing through life. It's easy to get caught up in the relentless ticking of the clock where we measure our days by tasks accomplished and goals achieved. But what if life is not meant to be measured by the passing of time, but by the sacred moments that shape our journey? God never intended for our life significance to be found in what we accumulate, but in the moments that make our hearts beat a little faster, that bring tears of joy or sorrow that leave an indelible mark on our souls. Moments when you are at a crossroads with a decision heavier than expected. Then like divine whispers through a moment of obedience to God's calling, your future is forever changed. Like moments in the lives of Joseph, a carpenter, Mary, a young woman, and shepherds, humble and overlooked. That pulled all of them from the confines of ordinary life to discover the extraordinary. Moments that may have seemed weighty at first glance, but carried the weight of divine purpose. These timeless stories hold within them for us, the keys to unlocking the significance of sacred moments. There you go, all right. I see a lot of people still aren't done. Amazon Prime put to use this week, right? Um, so anyway, uh, next week, next week we will, it is actually Christmas Eve, right on Sunday. And so um, next week you have, uh, we're gonna have two options and we'd love for you to come to both. The first one is um, 
normal Sunday service. And during that service, we will do communion during that service, but it'll be our, our normal Sunday service. We'll wrap up this series. And then at 7 o'clock on that evening, we'll have our family Christmas Eve. If you're wrapping, if you're like baking, if you're, you know, I don't know if you're one of those people who, who puts up all the decorations the last day of the year, shame on you. We have uh, psychiatric help out here if you want to have that. But, um, but if, uh, seriously, if you're in the middle of that, just stop. Come on in. We'll have, um, we'll have fun. The kids will have a good time. And then um, you, can, you can head on out, and it's always a good time. One year, um, the elf showed up. I don't know if some of you remember that. Anybody remember that when the guy from Elf showed up? And he went to Wawa afterwards, uh, Elf did, and the look he got from some lady was like disgust. It was rather uh, very good. I, I almost looked, I was the elf in case you don't know. Um, and I looked, I, I wanted to look at her and go, you must be an angry elf, but it didn't work out. So I thought I'd be nice that time, but next, who knows what I'll wear this year. All right. So um, we're, we'd love to have you there and hopefully you'll be able to celebrate. Bring somebody with you. We'd love for people to be here. It's a really fun time uh, and really good atmosphere and just, just really gets us refocused on why we celebrate Christmas in the first place. Okay. All right. So how you doing? You good? All right. Very good. So we are in a series called um, Sacred Moments, and we are looking at those times. Like, and and when the, the key to this is that life is not measured in time, but it's me- life is measured in moments. And I, I shared that the first week, that when you look at someone's life, or when you look back at, at life, um, when I do funerals or celebrations of life, I do very little about time. I do very little. I do, I'll do their, their birth date, you know, maybe when they passed away. Um, later on, I may talk about when they got married. But by and large, I'm talking about moments in their lives, times that they, that they you know, they, they spent. Or I'll ask people, what, what are some of the things you remember? And nobody says, you know, very rarely do people say, well, you know, back in 1975, on January the 3rd, we went ahead. Nobody, nobody really does that. Most people say, you know, there's this one time every year we went to the beach or every uh, Christmas we'd get in the car and we would go to our grandparents. I remember this one time. It's a moment that people remember. And if you think of your own life, there are moments that are special, there, that are really significant to you. There are other moments that are not so significant, not so special. But by and large, our life is made up of not time, but moments. And it, when we really think about that, we, we can embrace this concept that we do remember, mom- we don't remember days and months and years and everything specific, um, but we do remember moments of things in days and months and years. And so this week, we're going to talk about, um, we're going to talk about something. How many of you have ever hesitated to do something? Have you ever hesitated to do something? Um, I, you know, like, I don't like heights. Who likes heights? Who does not like heights? Who doesn't like heights, all right? I'm not a big fan of heights um, in my life. And, um, you know, at one point I remember, uh, you know, like going up to, uh, they had, a, in Me- we were in Mexico, and I remember they had this zip line, and I wanted no parts of it. My kids were jumping on like, wee! I'm like, uh-uh, <laughs> you know? And they had to pretty much shove me there. I'm hesitating. I'm not, like, like going. Uh, anybody, anybody ever done those, like, bungee drop things on, like, um, when you're, like, at a carnival or anything? Anybody ever done that? Yeah, no, me neither. Uh, anybody? Do, who has done it? Anybody? All right, there's a couple of you. All right, no, 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 thank you. Um, I was like, what if they didn't do this? And I, have you ever seen the ones where people, they, they kind of help shove them and they throw the blank one out and go, ah, and scare the person so they think they didn't hook it on? You ever seen this? Okay, yeah, that, that's like, I would have a heart attack before, but anyway. Um, I'm always afraid I'm going to hit my head and then come back up and then I'm going to be even 
weirder than I am now. But anyway, so um, I was thinking, there was, um, when I used to teach at, at the college, um, there was, uh, I, I taught several different classes. And one time I taught, I, I was teaching a philosophy class, and there was this guy there named Will. And Will was an interesting character, let's say the least. Will was the guy who, when you would uh, just go around first day, you call people's name, you ask something about them. Will responded in something very inappropriate, all right? And I was like, wow, this is going to be a fun semester. And then he kept going. It got so bad that in the semester, somebody sitting in front of him who actually liked him turned around and said to him, we have had entirely enough of you this semester. And he got a big grin. He said, wait, there's more. All right, and that's the kind of guy he was. He was a veteran, and he was um, uh, from over in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, in Iraq, excuse me. And um, and he he was very open about some of the demons that he struggled with, some of the struggles that he had, and. Um, and part of what Will would do is he would come into class and he would just be brash. He would be um, offensive. He would be humorously brash and humorously offensive. Um, some of those I thought were humorous. Some of them I'm like, did he just say that? And trying to get this class was really interesting. But the other interesting thing about Will is after class. After class, Will will come and sit on a desk in front of me, and I can see him sitting there rocking his feet back and forth. And he'd want to talk about all kinds of things. And it wasn't brash. It wasn't like rude. Occasionally it was, but he would sit there and he'd say, hey, and talk about this. He'd talk about all kinds of things in life. And um, matter of fact, he's, he didn't do very well in my class at all. And, um, and so he didn't do that well. So he signed up for another class. And the first class was philosophy. The next one was ethics. And I remember the first day of class, I looked down, I saw his name and I announced his name. I said, Will. And he said, here, I said, ladies and gentlemen, this is Will. This class is ethics. Will has none. And, um, and everybody started laughing and we continued on and he laughed too. And again, he started with a little brashness. Um, but in that class, there was like, uh, there was two veteran, um, veteran females, and there was like four or five veteran males that were in the class, and it made an interesting dynamic. And they would tend to reel Will in at times, but nobody could really wheel, um, wheel, wheel, wheel in. Say that five times real fast. Um, <laughs> wheel, wheel, okay, anyway. Reel, will in, there we go. Um, but it was interesting because those conversations afterwards were fascinating. Um, he, he got one grade in both classes, and it was because I gave it free to veterans because it was it's something to do with military. And he said, that's the best grade I've ever gotten. I said, I'm sure of that. And he was funny, but there was something about him I just liked, even though he was horrifically abrasive. But um, we would sit there, and every class would end with him and maybe some others talking and, and, and talking more and more. And, and some of those would, again, at times go to religion. Um, and he would talk about some of that, or faith and, and things, but not, you know, more religion than faith. He'd want to talk about all kinds of different types of religions and, and things like that. And he was, you could tell that he knew some stuff, even though in class you could, felt like he knew absolutely nothing. But, um, but we'll continue this. And I remember, like, sitting and talking to him one day, and it was right before break at class, and he's like, hey, Cohen, you got to come out with me. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I better call the police. Um, but he was just like, he was just like that kind of guy, and I was like, that might be cool. It might make a good story. Um, but we were talking, and you know how sometimes you just are talking to somebody, and you get that nudge from God that, hey, um, talk to him about the gospel. Anybody ever had that? Like, just tell, share with them about, about Jesus and who, and who I am, and you start to do that. But then you may be like, you know, he may cut me, God. You know, you know like, I, don't, I don't know what he's going to do. He may rip off my head because he's shared that in class. Um, but, you know, you're, you're just kind of like, so you kind of 
pull back a little bit, you know what I mean? And you're, you're doing this inner battle with your mind. Anybody with me? Anybody right here? And so this, but I remember that one day, and he was like, so Cohen, yeah, I'm, we're going to get in touch this summer, and you're going to go out with me, and we're going to do, and I'm thinking, oh, okay. Um, and we're, we're going through that, and I kept feeling this nudge, and he's like, all right, man, well, I got to go. And, and then, you know, I said, all right, well, we'll have to continue some of our conversations about stuff. He goes, yeah, I, yeah, that'd be cool sometime. And I just felt like God wanted me to say something, but I just kind of let him go because I was also exhausted from him from a semester. And, um, and he went, and then we were, we were good to go, and I was waiting for that contact during the summer. But what I'm saying is, after he left, I immediately thought, why did I hesitate? Anybody ever thought that? Why did I hesitate in that moment? I could tell a billion of those stories. Um, and the question is, why do we hesitate? Well, if you look at um, what some of the experts say, they say that many of us hesitate for three major reasons. One of those is a lack of confidence. We have a lack of confidence in something, and, and it could be due to a lack of confidence in our own abilities. Like we're in, when it comes to sharing our faith, we may say, oh my gosh, I'm going to share my faith. And then somebody say, well, is that what you do? And you go, uh, no. <laughs> you know, and you may struggle with, with those things. You may not know what to say. It might be something about fear of being wrong. A lot of people don't want to share their faith. I don't know enough. I don't know enough about, about God. All I know is just for me. And that's all you need to share. So it might be fear of being wrong or maybe fear of being rejected. Um, so that, you know, you project yourself into a future and you start to go, well, if I go ahead and share this, this person's going to just yell at me or they're going to go ahead and come back at me and, and I'm not going to know and I'm gonna, then they're going to tell others and then I'm going to be rejected and then I'm going to get hurt or, or they're going to be offended. And, and we go through this whole kind of conversation in our heads about the consequences, uh, consequences of the outcome before we even figure out what happened in the first place. And so we end up, you know, hesitating at times. And so we look at this like, for those of you who are followers of Christ, and if you're followers of Christ, if you're a Christian, I can almost promise you that this week, and I guarantee you this week and probably last week, that in the next few days, you'll have multiple opportunities to share your love, the love of God with somebody. And they may, they may look like normal interactions, normal points in the day, like a guy at the store, a person at the coffee shop, someone that you go to work with, somebody you go to school with, and it may look like this normal normal conversation, but in many cases, those are holy and sacred moments that God has provided for you that could absolutely change someone's life. I believe it's a divine appointment from our Heavenly Father and who has a heart for someone that maybe somebody else has been praying for, and you're the answer to that prayer to share with them. I've, I've spent years talking with people, and there's been times where I've talked with people about their faith, and they don't get it, and then somebody else will come and say the exact same thing, and they get it. And I'm like, you know, at first I'd be like, What's wrong with me? What? Hello? And, but it's not about me. It's about the God and them. And so this, this happens a lot. And so we have, in order to do that, we have to have a boldness to be able to share our faith. And there will be times when you actually do feel prompted to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it, you ever, who knows that? Who like me knows those times where maybe you may have been prompted? Like God just says, I want you to tell somebody about me. Has anybody ever had that? Um, and you say, I know what you're talking about. You know, I... There was a, um, there was three sisters that got married, and the mother-in-law of these boys wanted to make sure that they were, wanted to test them, and she wanted to make sure that they were willing, that if their daughters were in trouble or somebody was in trouble, they would just react and not hesitate. And so she decided to test each of them by taking them on a walk separately. So she took the first one, 
and she was walking along with him, and all of a sudden she accidentally fell into a deep pond. Well, the first guy did not hesitate. He didn't take off shoes or anything. He jumped right in, went, pulled out his, his mother-in-law, took her on the shore, made sure she was uh, taken care of, dried off, got clean, uh, cleaned up, and took her home. And a few days later, she re he received $500 with the inscription, thank you for all you did for me, your mother-in-law, Sarah. Well, then she decided to test the second guy. So she went ahead and took him out for a walk, and they went walking again by the same deep pond, and she once again accidentally fell into the pond. Well, he didn't hesitate. He jumped right in, went in swimming, pulled her out, carried her home, and, and made sure she was good. And a couple days later, guess what? He receives $500. It says, hey, thank you for all you did for me, your mother-in-law, Sarah. Well, then she came down to the third guy. And once again, they're walking along, and she accidentally falls into the pond. This time he stops. He looks. He looks around. And he didn't go in. And Sarah went down. He goes home. And a couple days later, he gets a thing in the mail, $500. And says, thank you for all you did for me. Your father-in-law, James. <laughs> When we hesitate, <laughs> sometimes we hesitate. You're going to tell that one. You like that one, right? Yeah. You guys are like, oh, my gosh, this is serious. No, it wasn't. All right. But a lot of times when we hesitate, we miss out on a blessing. Unfortunately, James got to him before. But anyway, um, what we want to say is we do need times of boldness because why? You never know how God might use one moment of boldness to change someone's life. If you look back on your life, there was probably a moment that somebody was bold enough to share their faith with you. Now, you may have been raised in the church. You may have grown. You may have been nurtured by your mom, your dad, your grandmother, your grandfather, whoever else, aunt, whatever. But there may have been one moment where somebody, I bet many of us could find one person that took a moment of boldness to really share how Christ had done something in their lives, and it changed your life. And so this week, for those of you who are Christians, uh, I'm praying and I'm, that God is going to give you a prompting and that your heart is ready and your eyes are open and you'll be bold as we go and have holy hesitation is the theme of today. Let's pray. So, Father, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would embolden, that you would strengthen us and you would make us bold to share your good news of the love of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. And all the bold people in this room and on and line say, amen. All right? So we are in the series, Sacred Moments, and we talked about that week one. Um, we talked about Joseph and obedience. Week two, we talked about Mary and surrender. And we're going to look at, we're looking at four different moments. And today we're going to look at the birth of Christ in Luke chapter two. There's Mary and Joseph who were there. And, um, and then we're going to mainly talk about the other people who were there. So let's look at this in Luke chapter two. And here it comes. So that night there were shepherds. Everybody say shepherds. Everybody say, I like shepherds. All right, good. Um, if you're watching online, right, I like shepherds. Okay, um, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were what? Terrified. terrified. Everybody give me your best terrified. And they were? Terrified. Ah, all right. But the angel, uh, the angel reassured them, 
Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will be great joy for all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. The city of David. How many of you have heard this story? Maybe a billion times. All right, the story of the shepherds. The angel makes this prophetic declaration. I bring you good news of a great joy. Today in Bethlehem, a Savior, the Messiah, has been born in, the, in Bethlehem. And so what's interesting about me, we mentioned this a little bit last week, but over the, the last time that, that God had spoken to people was 400 years previous by the um, prophet Malachi. And when the, when the prophet said this, that God will turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the hearts of their children back to the father. And then silence after that. Now God is speaking again. He's spoken to Mary. He's spoken to Joseph, right? He spoke to Zechariah, um, who was John the Baptist's father. And then God is speaking again. And what's super interesting to me in this whole occasion is so far we have the Lord, uh, we have the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, appearing to Zechariah, who was a priest, and he had to be quiet for nine months. All right, that's the first one. Then you have him appearing to Mary, correct? Appears to Mary, who is a... 13 to 15-year-old girl in Nazareth. Remember, Nazareth is a really little tiny place. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. And then he appears to Joseph, who is her betrothed husband. And that's been the only thing for 400 years. And now, what's really interesting is who he decides to talk to now. And he decides God is speaking again. And he doesn't speak to a king. He doesn't speak to the elite or the powerful or the religious leaders but instead speaks to those that we talked about, but now he speaks and the angels speak to shepherds who are in the middle of a shepherd's field at night. Now, what do we know about shepherds in first century? Well, their status is very questionable. So why in the world shepherds? Well, there's a problem with shepherds, and so we look at it. The first thing, what we learn about the shepherds, they were what? They were terrified. Now, remember, I said this is very interesting because when Gabriel first appeared in, to Daniel, Daniel was what? Terrified. terrified. When he appeared to Zechariah, he was? Terrified. When he appeared to the shepherds? Terrified. When he appeared to Mary, Mary's like, what is this thing? <laughs> All right? So I find it very fascinating. But the shepherds are terrified, and the angel reassured them, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And we know that shepherds were a different breed of character. Shepherds liked to def- had to defend the sheep, all right? They put their life on the line for them. Um, they would actually lay down. What, what they do is often they would have a cave where they would gather the sheep in for the night, and they would lay down at the entrance. So if anything was coming in, you had to come through the shepherd, all right? And they had to fight them off. Um, we, we, when we talk about the Lord is my shepherd, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Um, and, you know, they, they use those as ways to, to move the sheep and to guide them and to direct them and to get after them. But it also was tools to go ahead and defend the sheep as well. So they, they really were, were ones who could fight off. They fought a lot of wild animals off. David, who was a shepherd, said he took on um, the, the bear and the lion. I mean, I'm, I'm like, here, would you like, what sheep would you like? I'm not going to f- defend a bear and a lion. But David talked about that. And yet for them to be terrified at something, 
It tells you that it was pretty scary for them all of a sudden to have these heavenly hosts appear up uh, and appear. And so what I did, I, I did a lot of research on shepherds, and I found it's interesting. There are two dominant, about, two dominant thoughts from scholars about these shepherds. One is, and I thought this was really interesting, that they are not just ordinary shepherds. They're what was known as shepherd priests. Everybody say shepherd priests. Shepherd. All right, shepherd priests. And what we find out is near this area... And, and around Bethlehem, there, there was a group of shepherds that their jobs were just to raise sheep for Passover. And I think that would be really cool if they were the ones at the time Jesus was born that are raising sheep for Passover. But I don't know. But most people tend to believe that they were most likely ordinary shepherds. Either way, guess what? They were shepherds. And what we know about shepherds in this time, most shepherds were not people who you enjoyed. Most shepherds were despised, and they had very, very little respect in society. And they had uh, some ongoing significant issues. They were ostracized by society, and they were ostracized religiously and socially. Um, and in its root, they were, just, they were not trusted, and they weren't allowed um, to be involved in society or the, um, the synagogue and stuff for many reasons. Because number one, that would cause, one of the things that happened is just by the nature of being a shepherd, it caused you to be distant from God. And, and what I mean, because number one, they felt unworthy. They just were people who felt unworthy to be part of the things with God. And so uh, they were outcast in Israel. They were taught that they weren't good enough for the temple, that work, their work made them ceremonially unclean, that they were taught specifically, you're not good enough for religion and you're not good enough for God. They were nomads. They were wanderers. They, their job took them on the road all the time, which basically was uh, through the fields all the time. A shepherd uh, might go for weeks, months, uh, and not get back home. Um, they couldn't come back to the temple, and because they couldn't obey coming back to the temple, they were declared that they were ceremonially unclean because you hadn't cleaned up, you hadn't been here, you hadn't done all the things that you were supposed to do. And so they weren't right with God, according to the Jewish law. And because they couldn't perform the religious duties, because they were on the road, it made people say, no, no, you're not welcome here. You're not welcome. And they also hung out with sheep. Anybody been to a petting zoo before? Anybody pet a sheep? And then you go to scratch your nose, and you're like, ugh. You know, you smell like, you're like, ugh. Give me, give me like a vat of that, you know, hand sanitizer. Um, because it just, they just, they're not the, the, sm the nice smelling things that you have. But they would sleep next to sheep. They'd hang out with sheep. And there weren't any like shepherd truck stops on the way where they could go wash up at the time. And they were physically dirty. But more importantly, they were told that their soul was dirty because they, they couldn't worship as they were supposed to. And so a religious person was considered that if you touched a shepherd, you were unclean. And you had to go through a whole process of getting clean. They were almost deemed like lepers uh, were in the time. So you can imagine how unworthy they felt. They also felt very, very inadequate. They felt very inadequate. Most of your shepherds were very uneducated. And so they never measured up in society. And often we do the same thing, and, and it comes from comparison. Like, for instance, ladies, you ever, uh, when you compare yourself to others that you, you may feel inadequate, like you go to your friend's home and everything is perfect. It smells like candles and the floor is clean, and the kid's hair is brushed, and they, they look very neat, and they say, yes, mother, and you go. And then you walk into your house, and it smells like laundry. You don't even know the floors because you haven't seen them since 1987. 
and you start to say, oh my gosh, and they're like, mom, mom, like this, right? Anybody, does that relate to anybody? And you go, how in the world do they do that? And you start to feel a sense of inadequacy. Maybe I'm not a, a good enough parent. Oh, they can't come over here. I'll just go over there and all the time. And what's worse is they, they felt inadequate you know, that way, but they, they compared themselves. Spiritual inadequacy. Many of us have done that, that you know, they, the shepherds had these, they say one keeps the Sabbath and they keep these rules and I can't take a total day of rest. How am I going to take a total day of rest and say, sheep, it's Sabbath, go lay down, enjoy the pasture, we'll see you tomorrow. They couldn't do that. That wasn't what their job allowed them to do. And so they couldn't take 24-hour rest in a seven-day week. So physically, they couldn't do everything they were supposed to. And sometimes we're like that. Sometimes we look at other people and we say, man, they really are so close to God. They've got a Bible verse for everything, and they're quoting books of the Bible, and their, their Facebook and Snapchat has all these little memes of like little Bible verses that I don't even know. I didn't even know that was a book in the Bible. And you're like kind of, oh, my gosh, they're so spiritual. Oh, their, their prayers have got to always be answered. Oh, gosh, God must be so disappointed in me. And you're thinking, the last time I prayed was, God, please help me, uh, help me kill this person so I can go ahead and get that parking spot closest to the mall. Right? And you're thinking about those things. I'm so unspiritual. And you're like, I feel so unworthy. I don't, you know, I don't know why God is even bothering me. So they felt, they felt inadequate. The other thing that they felt is unloved. They felt unloved. In reality, most of them were thieves. Um, they were, most of them were thieves, but even the ones that weren't thieves were associated by knowing thieves. For instance, they, were, uh, you couldn't, they couldn't uh, go ahead and testify in court because they were all considered liars. You wouldn't buy anything from a shepherd because it was probably stolen property. And, and this is how it was back then. And um, they were at the bottom rung of society uh, next to tax collectors and dung sweepers. Now, you didn't know that there was a dung sweeper, but that was your job to sweep poo, right? How'd you like that job? But those guys could probably take off and go to the temple. They just had more poo to sweep the next day, right? And you could, you could do those things. But so this is what they were thought of. So you can imagine, they're very unloved. They were considered like tax collectors, prostitutes, and others. And some parents, actually, we have records that taught their children, if you see a shepherd come, coming, walk to the other side. Because you don't want to be unclean and you don't want to get caught up in that kind of person. So they weren't trusted, and so they were, they were never allowed to just do the things that normal. If somebody fell in love with a shepherd and wanted to marry them, father would say, ain't no way. And they would move you totally away so that you would not marry one of those filthy, low, uneducated, the ones who had no hope of a better future. And so they felt incredibly unloved. The reality is tragic that most, many of us feel the same way today. Some of you may be wondering, well, you know, maybe someone saying, why did my dad leave when I was so young? And you're wondering, what's wrong with me? Why couldn't he stick around? I mean, it was just me and mom all those years, and he's never reached out. What's wrong with me? Why doesn't he love me? And there may be some of you that are going to have Christmas this year without a person that you love because they passed on, or, and be, and, or, or maybe because they just left. Or they just said, I don't love you anymore. Or maybe that your actions said, displayed just the opposite. And you're looking at yourself, what did I do wrong? I tried and I did the best I could, but still not enough. And so you feel unloved. Some of you may look in the mirror and you don't like the person looking at you. You don't even love yourself. And you say, I don't like that person in the mirror, so how can anybody possibly love that person in the mirror? It's always so amazing to me to see the difference between per, uh, perception and reality. And I've always told people, one per, a person's perception is their reality. 
even if it's not real, because that's what you believe. And perception on a day like this in church could be this. You can look around this room and you can say, well, oh, that person there, he's, he or she's got it all together. They're more successful than I am. They have a, a good family and I'm so messed up. If they only knew what I really was. And, and then you have no idea of the pain that people are sitting around you that they're dealing with in a, in a week and that they just barely made it through this week. But you don't know because the perception is they got it all together. Everybody in this room has it all together but me. And there could be just three seats down from you, a single mom who's about ready to cash it in because she feels inadequate. She thinks, I can't do this anymore. If it weren't for my children, I wish I wouldn't be here. I can't keep it together anymore. And right in front of you, there may be a guy who's doing the best he can to worship God during worship because he feels like an utter and complete failure. He's struggling financially. And he knows that when his kids go back to school, someone's going to say, I got this for Christmas. I got that for Christmas. What'd you get for Christmas? And the kids aren't going to say much or they're going to want to lie because they didn't get much because he, it wasn't that he didn't want to. He didn't have the ability to get it for them and he feels like a complete failure. Or maybe there's someone else maybe sitting right behind you who thinks they need somebody in their life to make them fulfilled. So they settle for somebody who comes along. Or other times they end up just cutting everybody off, the people who love them because they feel so unloved. And they end up in brokenness and say, what in the world's going on in my life? Maybe a few seats over, somebody that looks incredibly successful, has more money than you do, but, and more things that you do, but inside they're carrying such a burden and so much pain, and they don't feel like they have anyone close to them that they can open up to. And there may be somebody right in front of you who gives and gives and gives and gives and gives and is always there for others, and then they put themselves aside for others and everyone in their life, and they drop everything, and always available to someone, and when they needed somebody to be there, there's no one. And they feel like no one cares about me. So why bother? Bottom line is this. Religion did not work for the shepherds. It made them feel even more distant from God. Religion didn't work for the shepherds. And guess what? Religion doesn't work for us. It's not about religion. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And all this time, all that we hear in Scripture after God decides to speak about His Son, He makes the first people to announce the coming of Jesus into the world. He chose the type of person on earth who is unpolished, unremarkable, uneducated, unkept, known as shepherds, to declare the good news that a Savior has been born. Why in the world did He pick this group of people? Why in the world did He pick people that nobody wanted to be around? People that are so broken, so stinky, so whatever. They, you know, you ever have meet somebody who's not like, doesn't hang around people and they aren't like socially cultured? You know that? You ever seen that? Like, remember that old pull in or old fruit where they're like, could you please pass the pull in or old fruit? And they get the guy, please pass the jelly. You know, that's the shepherd at the table, right? And, and so why would God use that group of people to go ahead and share this news? I'll tell you why. And I'm going to read the scripture. Luke chapter 2. Verse 16, they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger after seeing him, and we'll continue on. What did they do? They hurried to the village with no hesitation. There was no hesitation. There was no holding back. After they got over the fear and they got the news, they said, let's go. 
Let's go. People who are not around people, people who don't go around people at all, people who people don't want around them, decide, let's go see a new baby. Now, moms, help me out here. You have somebody who's dirty, filthy, coming at your newborn baby. What you doing? You going to punch him? They're going to find out, you, you know, karate, mom karate, right? You're going to do something like, like, you know, wax on, wax off, whip the baby around, hit him or something like that. But and so what I'm saying, you ain't letting anybody get near your baby like that. When shepherds are coming to your baby, Mary's already probably not too happy that it's in a stall and she's there in a manger and all of a sudden shepherds come. She's like, what else is going to come? Are the prostitutes and the tax collectors going to come visit him too? Woohoo! Why don't we do that? But no, no, no. The shepherds came as the first ones. No hesitation. They hurried. They ran off. What time of day is this? It's at night. Moms, how are you sleeping with a new baby? No. Are you going to be happy that people... How many of you have, remember when you had babies, when people just showed up at the door? Like you've been up and you're like, you're like you have that, like a, that middle of the night, like, uh, you know, uh, here I am. And all of a sudden somebody shows up. Imagine somebody showed up in the middle of the night. It was bad enough when they showed up in the day, right? But when they show up in the middle of the night and you're like, hey, we heard the baby's born. It's Jesus. It's the Savior of the world. And you're like, go home, Right? I don't want you here. How many of you put a sign on the door? Thank you for coming, but we're just so glad. You know, we'd like you to, that's pretty, you know what that means? That's mom saying, go away. Right? And I'm sure, I'm sure Mary felt maybe the same thing. She just rode on a donkey or whatever, nine months on a hundred mile journey, gave birth in a stable, and now has shepherds showing up. What an ideal place. What an ideal birth. Anybody taking it? This is how, and so this is what God chooses. Why? Why in the world? And you know, one of the things is because they had a heart for, for not hesitating. They just did. They went. And I would love it, side note, I would love it that one of my greatest prayers is for the American church today that we would just recapture a, a spirit of non-hesitation. That we would just, a spirit of urgency because the shepherds responded with spiritual urgency. Once they found out this thing that they've been praying for for so long, they were announced, they took off, and they went. I mean, like, think about this. I would love people to say, I want to be the first person to church. I cannot wait to get in the door. I would want to be the first person in church because I want to be the first person that really gets the spot to be in, in the presence of God. I want to sit right up in front of the preacher. I want to be right there. I want to be, see, there you are. I'm going to be right there. I'm going to be like, I'm going to move the chair closer because it's going to be good. And God's going to get some holy, we're going to get some holy spirit. I want to sit right by the drums. I want to be right by the drum. And I want Justin to hit him louder because, whoa, I want some of that. I want some, I want some of God, whatever it needs. I need some of that holy spirit today. I want, I want dancing room in the church. I'm going to have, I'm going to get some place that I'm not in the middle. That you're really like in a place where you say, I want to be there. I, I, I don't want to go to church alone. And so I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to reserve like five or six because I'm going to bring five or six people with me. I want them to be here. I'm going to make sure they're here because if I bring somebody, God's going to do something good and I can't wait to get there. And that's my urgency that I have because I know God wants to do something. I know that, that Jesus came to save the whole world and I got some people who need that. So I'm going to bring them with me. I'm going to do that. And I would love, love it if people recognize like they did in the early Testament that Jesus is coming back soon. And there's a sense of urgency that we're not just like, yeah, he's going to come back sometime, but you know, maybe he's going to be. Uh, yeah. No, that spiritual urgency. Yeah, he could be today. He could be today. Come on, Jesus. Come on back today. I don't know about you, but the way things are going in the world, I hope it's today. 
And I don't know about you, but you know what's coming this week? This week we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus in a week. This week, according to surveys, is the number one most likely week of the entire year for someone who's far from God to say yes to coming to church. It's more than Easter, more than Mother's Day. They used to be the two big ones, but it's, it's Christmas. And oh, I pray that God gives you a sense of urgency and gives you a heart for those who are far from him. Gives us eyes for every interaction this week that we may be able to invite somebody and, and bring them and pick them up with no hesitation. And so in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 17, it says this, Scripture tells us this. It says, after seeing the, him, the baby, the shepherds did what? They told everyone what happened and the angel and what the angels had said to them about the child. And all who heard this story were astonished. What time did the shepherds go? Nighttime. Now, let's go back to the scene. They're minding their business. Stinky shepherds. They're, they're doing their thing. They get scared. They go, oh, let's go run off. They had hesitation. They show up at Mary's. We already talked about that, where Mary is. And they're like, ah. Oh. Then they go. It's the nighttime, and then these shepherds who nobody wants to be around are going through the town. And remember, it's a census, so people are packed in like, woohoo, guess what we just saw? Yay! There's shepherds and sheep walking through the town, and people are going, what is that going on? And they're like, let me tell you about what we saw. We were in the fields, and we're doing this. Somebody said, what did you say? We were in the fields, and all of a sudden, boom, and we were like, ah! And they said, Savior's born. So we went ahead, and we went there, and Mary was there, and she's like, don't touch my kid. And then we went ahead, and then we walked back, and we said, we're going to tell it right. Yeah, and this is what happened. And somebody says, what did you say? Oh, let me tell you. We were in the fields, and they're doing this all the way all night. All the way all night. Do you see the urgency? Because the other thing the shepherds had was a passionate urgency. You see, you can have a spiritual urgency, but you can have no passion for others. They had a passion to tell everybody. And I think that what, what God knew is if he went to somebody who had prim and proper societal habits, they would say, well, we will hurry off in the morning. When we'll let Mary get her sleep and then we'll go. Rather than, so let's get some sleep and let's thank the Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. And let's sleep and let's get up and then we'll go. And then we'll go there and say, knock, knock, here we are. How are you? We brought some wipies. And you go ahead and you get them to them and say, oh, good to see the Savior. Hey, did you hear that there's a Savior? Yes, we did. You know, no, the Lord wanted it to be bombastic and blown out there because he knew people who had urgency and they didn't care what people thought because people already thought one thing about them. So now they were going to share with them with a passion and an urgency. Don't miss that the moment of courage that it took for these despised people, this despised group, who was overlooked, not even deemed clean in the temple, to be go ahead to annoy and wake up the whole town telling them about Jesus. Don't overlook the courage that it took for those shepherds to boldly share about his birth. Some people probably said, what, what is that ruckus? Oh, shepherds. Ah, they're probably drunk. Oh, they don't believe a word they say. They're lying. They're, you know how shepherds are. The next time you're hesitated, I want to remind you that you're not alone. We all do it. We all feel tempted to not share. Why do we hesitate? Maybe because we're a little insecure. Like if we start talking about this, they'll ask a question and we won't know the answer. I'm going to give you the best answer when somebody asks you a question and they say, well, if that's what it is, then let me ask you. You can say, I'm not sure. You like that answer? I'm not sure, but I can find it out for you. Or I'll try to find it out for you. But what I do know is I can't tell you all the theological stuff, but I can tell you what Jesus did for me. I can argue with all kinds of other stuff, but I can't argue with what Jesus does for you, all right? And, and you can just share who, what he's done for you. We don't want to be pushy. That's another thing. We don't want to be the weird, annoying, obnoxious Christian. 
Um, there's a lot of them out there. Any, anybody ever met? Anybody ever met a weird, obnoxious, or annoying Christian? Anybody raise your hand? Raise, raise your hand real high. Raise your hand. Get them up there. Everybody, keep them up there. Anybody ra- weird, obnoxious Christian? Those of you who don't have your hands up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just like, I'm just joking with you. But, you know, we, we've all had those people that, that, you know, maybe just don't, they just, they don't, we don't see any love of God. We just see pushiness and we see legalism and we see all this other kind of stuff. And, and so that, that, that we don't want to be that person. We don't want to be that person at all. And we, and we, wanna, we want people to love the Lord, not to, be, to drive people away. And so it's a responsibility. But when your life is changed by Jesus... When your sins are forgiven, when the old is gone and the new has come and you're born into the family of God and you inherit all those things that God promises and the thing is you did absolutely nothing to deserve it, you can't just keep it to yourself. It would be like if you had the cure to cancer. You got the cure to cancer. And you don't tell anybody. What would that make you? Cruel. You have the cure to AIDS. You have the cure to anything and you got it. But you keep it to yourself. I'm good, I got it. I want to tell you what we are doing with our faith and keeping it to ourselves and not sharing it with the world is even worse because that has eternal significance. And so when it's on the front of your mind what Jesus did and who he is to you and what he means to you and how he's filled your life with the Spirit of God and how you help ask him to direct your steps and shine his light and be that voice of hope and be healing for a dark world, then you don't care what anybody else thinks and you just can't hold back. I've been changed. And I have to tell somebody about it. And the shepherds told everybody, everyone, everyone, the Messiah has come. The one we've been praying for, he's here, he's here, and you know it. He's right here, he's right here. And with that urgency, that spiritual urgency that moved them to go, and the passionate urgency for others to share it with everybody they went, it tells us what happened. The results of that were this. And all who heard the shepherd's story were what? Astonished. They were just blown away. They were blown away by what they said. Why? Because remember, many people today and many people may look like they have it all together, but they are still like the shepherds. They feel unworthy, they feel inadequate, and they feel unloved. More people in this world feel unloved, inadequate, and unworthy. You know why? Because we all fail and fall short of the glory of God. And so what we do, then we feel guilty. Then we feel bad about ourselves. Then when whatever situation happens, then we feel unloved. Then we feel like, ah, I failed. Then I can't do this. And so many of us, if I ask you to really be honest with yourself, there's a moment in your life or something going on in the life of someone that you love that somebody feels unworthy, um, un, un, inadequate, or unloved. And what they need to know is they have a God who loves them. And when's the last time that we just sat back and said, you know what, the gospel, the fact that God's goodness, his love, his mercy covers my sins, that's astonishing. And that we can be made right with God. Not what we do, but that God loved us so much, that Jesus loves us so much, that while we are still sinning, he gave his life for us. That's astonishing when you think that. You know, a lot of times, you know, you think about in your life, who would you give your life for? Some of you may give your life for your spouse. Some of you may give it life for your kids or your parents. How many of you would give it for the person who you hate most in the world? How many of you would give it for the person that has wronged you the most, the person that has hurt you the most, 
the person who constantly hurts you again and again, the person who is mean to you, the person who, who, who in school caused everybody, made up a lie and caused everybody to, to think things about you that weren't true. How many of you would be willing to give your life for that? Let me tell you, that's exactly what Jesus did. While you were yet sinning, while I was yet sinning, he gave his life up. That's astonishing. And it's undeserved, but that's the grace of God. What was their message? The message was bold and passionate. The virgin that was prophesied 700 years ago, prior to night, guess what? She gave birth to a son. Her name's Mary, and his name is Jesus. And he came to save people from the sins, and he went everywhere and told people that basically the message is this simple, that God reached down so he could lift you up. That God took our sins so that we could take on his righteousness. That God was born into poverty so that we could experience the riches of heaven and eternal riches. And God did not announce this in a royal palace, in a, in a decree, by trumpet sounds. He announced it to the lowly, stinky, offshoot shepherds. That's who he reached out to. Why? Because God often chooses the unlikely to do the extraordinary. So if you, don't, if you feel unloved, if you feel unworthy and you feel inadequate, guess what? God's ready to use you. And he's going to move you. Oh, but you know, I've not been a Christian that long. That's okay. You've been a Christian and you've got the love of God. And, you, and sometimes, I'm going to tell you, sometimes at early stage, you are more passionate and urgent about the spiritual and, and the passionate urgency to tell others because after you've been a Christian for a while, you kind of get beat down by the stuff of life and some of those other Christians we talked about, Right? But use that passion that you have for the Lord and that urgency. Because as I look at it, I want to tell you something. You notice the shepherds were not Christians for very long? Do you realize that? They just found out the good news and they went and saw it. And when they saw Jesus, they went and told everybody. They were believers for two seconds. And they told everybody that they could. He often chooses people like you and me. People who don't feel educated enough, not holy enough, not worthy enough. And he calls us and he calls you and he prompts you. And that's why I want to tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus, I promise you this week, it'll be somebody that you're on the bus or the train with on the way to work. It'll be the new girl at the office. It'll be the boss that you sometimes, um, you'd rather pray for them than to witness to them. But you will be given opportunities if you're ready. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to care, God will prompt you. Because you have no idea how God may use one moment of boldness to change someone's life. Or you might hesitate. And hesitation can really go to hell. Because to hell with hesitation. Because it's not holy to hesitate. It's not when God calls us to do something, it's not what God wants. Hesitation is a great tool of the enemy. And so if we say to hell with hesitation, right now some people are more upset that I said to hell in church than rather than they did the fact that people are going to hell because we're hesitating. At some point we have to care more about those on the outside than we do about our little rules on the inside. And go out with the love of Jesus no matter where you are, no matter what you're in, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you've done, no matter what happens, no matter what you feel, Jesus' grace is real, and it's as real and current as it was for them and you and me here today. Everyone takes this message out. No more hesitation. And God's been working on me and you on this. You know, I was thinking about when I was talking to someone one time about the Lord, really cool person, probably more loving than many people that I know who were believers in life. And they'd say things like, you know, um, they, they would say really good things, and they were just a good person. And then um, we got talking about, 
you know, faith, and they say, well, you know, my, my, uh, my great-grandfather was a pastor, which I always love that one, or, you know, and I went to Sunday school, and I went to vacation Bible school at one time, I was talking to them, and, and they said, so I guess if I had to say something, I, I'd say I'm a Christian, and we would talk a little bit more, and I'd say, well, um, you know, you know, I, I, I want to tell you that, uh, honestly, I, I love, you're awesome, you're doing this, but I want to tell you that from what you told me, you're really not. And they said, thanks. And at that moment, they went ahead and they, I shared the gospel with them and they fell to their knees and lifted their hands and cried and began to speak in tongues. No, none of that happened. Um, I just, <laughs> you guys were believing that. You're like, that was good. All right. You guys are easy. All right. Anyway, but, um, but they just basically said, you know, I, I got to get going, but I'd like to talk about that sometime. And I had that opportunity to share with them and and, you know, from the last time I saw, they were, they were looking into God more and more and more. You never know how God might use one moment, one moment of boldness to change someone's life. So when you think about the story, that angel that announces the birth of the Messiah and the Lord Jesus, who knew about the birth of Christ? Who knew? There was Mary. Mary was there. Joseph, he was there. He didn't do much the whole time, right? Stood and hold a held a staff, according to the manger scenes, right? Um, but he was a real good man. There, and there were some unlikely, uneducated, unkept shepherds who told everybody, who annoyed everybody with the birth of Jesus. And here today, in this moment, 2,000 plus years later, because of the boldness of a few unlikely, ordinary shepherds, and I want you to feel the weight of that. You have no idea. We are, we are here and you have no idea what one moment, one moment of scaring them in the fields caused them to go out and share the gospel that we're here to celebrate this day. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask you to make a very bold prayer, and it's going to be this. God, make me bold. God, make me bold. But I want to warn you. It's a warning label. When you do, you just might start seeing more opportunities to share your faith. You might, see, you might start feeling a little more bold in areas that you didn't, that the good news, the best news, the most amazing news, that the Savior is here, will start to just boil up in you. And then you might just start preaching it everywhere to people and not being offensive, not being just nasty, not being like beating people over the heads or anything, but you're just going to find a way to just be bold and share the news that the Savior's here. And I want you to be delivered from this. You may, you may start to go ahead and say to someone, say to yourself that, you know what? My depression, my depression, I'm going to tell my depression, and I'm going to work through it with counselors and everything, but guess what? Depression, there's a Savior who's here, and I want to be delivered from it. You might talk to your finances. Guess what, finances? There's a Savior who's here, and I want to be delivered from it, and you're going to start to put in practices to help God facilitate being delivered. You might talk to your hurt and your pain and say, you know what? There is healing in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to claim it because the Savior is here. You might tell your sins and your shame and your sorrow, there's a Savior here. Don't remind me of it because I've been set free by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because who the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. And since, you're, since we like to tell everything in our life anyway, don't we? And social media, well, oh, I did this, I went to the store, I did this. You know, you do all that stuff. You may want to start to tell your boss or tell your friends or, or tell that child that's running far from God you're not going to do it in a weird way, but in an amazing way. Just let me share with you the best and greatest news ever. There's a Savior that's waiting for you, and it's the moment that you're ready to come back home, and the Savior's ready. You tell that person in your life, the one who you had little faith for it sometimes, that you say, there ain't no way 
if that person is ever going to go to heaven. No way. You ever, you, ever like, you ever been part of a church where somebody walks in and you're like, or maybe you're that person. <laughs> but we may say that. And you, that person that you know that you say, oh my gosh, there's no way they could be a Christian and walk in the church and really have a relationship with God. Then maybe that's the person God's prompting you to share and be bold with. Don't give up on them because God didn't give up on you. His grace is real. And what will happen if you hesitate? What will happen if, you're he- if you hesitate when you're prompted? Not very much. If we, we, we hesitate when we're prompted, not very much is going to happen. And that door will close, and then maybe later you'll wonder, wow, I wonder what would have happened. But what if there was an urgency out of a transformed life that you want people to know freedom, you want them to know the joy, and you want them to be forgiven? And then you, you, you embrace what, Romans, what Paul said in Romans, and it's simply this verse right here that says, for no one can be may ever be made right by, uh, with God by doing what the law commands. We can't do it with rules and regulations. There's a lot of good people. I just don't know Jesus. But God has now shown us the way to be made right. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, by saying you are who you said you are, by saying, hey, guess what? A Savior is born, and he's here to take my sin and the sin of the world, and I'm going to put my trust and faith in him. That's what I'm going to do. And so when we think about hesitation, I can tell you the rest of the story about Will. Will left that time and went... um, and left that day, and I figured I'd probably get a, a call or a text or something. And, and then one day I was standing right here in this room. I think it was a Wednesday night, I believe. But for some reason I was here at church. And I was here by myself. I was here earlier. And I got a call. And it was from one of the other veterans in that class. And he said, he said hey, Cohen. And I said, hey, what's up? I started talking to him. And he said, I got to tell you about Will. I said, what happened? Is he okay? And he said, no. Will took his life. One moment. One moment. You know how much I want that moment back. And I went to the funeral and I got to hang out with people and we talked about Will and I got to share a little bit about, you know, my hope. One moment. Our moment of hesitation. We don't know how one moment of boldness can change someone's life and their eternal life. One moment of boldness, the lost might be found. One moment, the blind might be healed. One moment, the deaf might hear. One moment, the dead might come to life. And God might break the chains of addiction. God may free the people from depression. God may restore broken relationships. God may answer prayers. God may change countless lives. God may heal someone who has PTSD so bad that he doesn't know what to do. Because you have no idea how God might use one moment of boldness to change someone's life. So what's the message that you share? It's simple. A Savior is here. His name is Jesus. He was born to save people and your people from their sins and to give you eternal life. And the world needs to hear it. And you're the shepherds that carry it. Amen. I ask that you stand as we um, get ready to pray this last prayer today.
We're going to take offering in a bit. Um, and I just want to thank you guys for just all your giving. I mean, it's amazing how you love the Lord and you love people. We, we have that on our shirts and um, for the team around here. And we don't just say that. You live it out. You truly live it out. Um, we've talked about our brothers and sisters in Haiti, and we, we, got, um, we get regular messages from Pastor Oog. And if you really want to see what's going on and you look at Haiti, Haiti's not often talked about, but right now in Haiti, in the, um, the main cities, um, they're controlled by gangs. Um, the government's losing control in many areas. And fortunately, our, our brothers and sisters in Gressier are further away from that. Um, yet the gangs are starting to, they've got control of the city, so they're starting to move outward. We don't see that on the news because Haiti's a third world country. They're not going to affect us in many ways, and so we don't see much of that. So I pray for the Lord to, to you know, just do what he did before when they went through this situation, is maybe send, um, send the United Nations in do something to bring and restore peace because I don't want them to get to the people that I love. So we got to pray for them every day. And they're, they're doing amazing things. A school that once maybe had five or six now has 50-some kids in it. That's because of you guys. You transformed the community um, in the name of Jesus because of your love for them. And we know the rest of the stuff that's going on in the world, but thank you for your giving. And for those, again, who I'm saying, I say this every week, and for those who are visiting, I just want you to just receive what God has for you. If you've never heard the call from the shepherds, the Savior is here. He loves you, and he, he wants to take your sins away. And, and just hear that respond to his message. For those of us who've heard that message, I just um, want us to carry it on. So thank you for your tithe and your offerings. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to bless them, as God always does. If you want somebody to pray with you, they're right up front and they're all around here. This world needs Jesus and needs the good news message. We need to be shepherds. We need to be shepherds and just scream it to the top of the rooftop so somebody hears it. Now it's the perfect season for that person that you've been praying for, the one that you, you wanted with you in church or the one that you didn't want with you in church. Now's the time to bring them. So let's pray. Lord, we just come to you today. And God, um, I just want to ask that you make us bold. I said that we were going to pray this prayer, that you're going to make us bold. And with us not looking around right now, because I know that, you know, a lot of times we can just peek and look and all that kind of stuff. But right now, just don't cheat and peek. Just kind of focus on God and just say, am I bold? And, and close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to just prayerfully think, are you willing? Are you going to tell a lot of reasons you're going to come up with a lot of reasons why not to do this, but I want you to go ahead and just say, if you really believe it, to say, make me bold. Make me bold, Lord. Before you say yes, I want, to, I want to tell you why you're not going to go through it, because you may become uncomfortable at times. You're going to feel like it's going to take faith some moments, and it will, and sometimes you're going to see immediate miracles, and other times you're not going to see anything at all. But don't carry around the pain of hesitating the pain that I just shared with you today that I still have. Because I've hesitated way too many times. But I want to warn you, don't just pray this prayer because I said pray this prayer. Pray it because you want to be bold and you want to see people's lives change. You want to see opportunities open. If that's you, just kind of say under your breath, raise your hand or just say, make me bold. Make me bold, God. 
Today, as I go into whatever store I'm going to do after this restaurant, just make me bold. As I go into work tomorrow, make me bold. As I go anywhere, as I go to school, make me bold. Because this world needs to hear that a Savior's here. Save us from our sins. And all those things can be broken in the name of Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we'll see how you work it out. In your name we pray. Amen.
I pray that you go through here and you'll be just like the shepherds telling everybody, there's a Savior who's here. He loves you and he died for you and to take your sins in Jesus' name. Amen. And bring people with you all next week. Have a great week. God bless.